Welcome to the Witness of Persecution podcast with Nick and Ruth Ripkin, where we equip you with biblical principles and truths and practices learned from believers in persecution to help you cross the street and cross the ocean with the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Anthony Ball. We have Nick joining us today. Uh, for our listeners, we've had a little bit of technical difficulties the last couple of weeks. We've got everything smoothed out and worked out, and we're back up and running uh, on a weekly basis. And Nick, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, brother. Looks like it's a men in black day. <laughs> you know, I'm getting quite a bit of gray hair in uh, whatever hair I have left. And so I may not be far behind you on the grayscale. Well, I, um, I'm pushing in another month those um, seven decades. So the, the, the more years now you, you get up to the year. You know, those older years, each one of them count for about six. So so you're, you're actually getting further behind because I'm aging faster. But uh, our our youngest uh, grandson had his first birthday, his number wow. one birthday yesterday. And they took him to Chick-fil-A. We did. And I got to watch him have sugar for the first time in his life. And that may be why he's sleeping today more. He may have been up all last night and he's crashing today from drinking his first milkshake <laughs> and with his papal putting whipped cream on the end of the straw and letting him suck it off the straw. So he, he had a lot of sugar and he's never had it before in his life. So, so I'm surprised they didn't make him stay with you last night no, too. That, uh, we checked that out before he, before he, we said, <laughs> now before you give him sugar, he's going home with you. So, <laughs> That's good parenting and good grandparenting all the way around. Yeah. Well, Nick, we we have a great show today, and um, there should be a lot of information and a lot of content, but I'm excited about it because I think this is going to be very practical for our listeners. Uh, a lot of, of people, uh, I think we have the question, what, what do I do when I share my faith? How am I a witness? How can I be an effective witness? You're going to answer that question with a lot of information and several answers uh, today, and it may extend even beyond our episode today, but I know today you're going to give us uh, the four questions that we must answer to be an effective witness. Take it from there. Teach us today uh, how we as believers in 2023, almost at 2022, how are we effective believers and what questions do we need to answer to get to that point? Well, I, I come to today's program highly frustrated because for the last 35, 37 years, we've been in, in a highly motivated environment. And so when we studied the Bible, uh, when we prayed together, everything we did was so that we could give it away. And, and with uh, among different languages and different people groups and, 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 and to come home and, and to hear that the vast majority, and I'm hearing things like 90% of people, that have been baptized in our churches uh, have never shared Christ with one person. And, and so mm. I, I, I'm not sure I know how to uh, bridge that gap because uh, there needs to be more a heart change than information change. And what I'm doing right. is, is doing the information stuff and praying that people that listen will get the heart change uh, and, and, Rather than listening to this podcast, they may need to get on their face before Jesus 
and read his word and 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 that whole hmm. you know everybody knows that story of Nicodemus if they've ever been to church very long at all as a child and and, and uh, the song that goes with it and but at the end of that story Jesus gives his his vision statement and he said the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost we're done right we're we're locked in and, and but we're not loaded and and so. Uh, I, I'm not going to address why we don't share, uh, uh, whether what if, if I, I'm afraid a lot of reasons we don't share is because we don't know Jesus. Well, mm. we know, we know the cure from that. Uh, if, if we haven't experienced the forgiveness of our fallenness and our sin and embrace uh, the Christ, both of the crucifixion and the resurrection, then that's the issue we really have to deal with. But I'm going to pretend that we're highly motivated, that if we are uh, uh, in God's family, the church, if, if we have uh, uh, professed Christ as our Lord and Savior and we've experienced believers' baptism, that our greatest desire is to cross the street and cross the oceans with the gospel and to know that that the that the answer to the world's problems, the answer to America's problems, is 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 not politics, is not military, is not education. It, it, it's loving the Lord your God, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And when Jesus was asked what are the greatest commandments, those are the things he said. And I was reading those uh, devotionally today and and pondering over them, and so. Speaking to a highly motivated audience, Kevin Greeson, uh, who was part of one of the early church planning movements uh, among Muslims, uh, he, he said to a group of us, and now it has become part of the DNA in missions of all different groups, there are four questions you must answer to equip people to witness. Again, uh, we're assuming that they want to. We're assuming that, that right. they're going to be obedient and they just need uh, Anthony and, and Nick to help them with some, uh, some more tools in their toolbox. But we're assuming they have the toolbox. And, and so yeah. what Kevin said, there are four questions that you have to answer in order to get people uh, to be uh, bold and effective witness. And 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 the first one is it, it, it's in every culture and it's what do I say when I start a conversation with someone and 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 I want to turn that into eternal things uh, what do I say and 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 I'm going to answer it a little bit differently maybe that Ke Kevin did but what I found over the years that the best witness is not talking it's listening. And, hmm. and and since on these podcasts I do so much talking, it seems like I'm the one that has the least uh, uh, genuineness uh, to be talking about listening. But I, I think that witness is two-thirds listening and one-third speaking. And, and we've said this before. If, if you care about people, you don't do a drive-by shooting. You don't just drop. Yeah. drop. And, and I know there's probably a place for it. Um, especially if the time is short uh, for the four spiritual laws, for the Roman road. But, but really, 
when we look at how people come to Christ uh, is through those shared meals and, and those relationships that they build. And, and very seldom would we witness to someone uh, that we don't know their name and know their background and know their children's needs and, and know whether they're married or in some kind of relationship that needs to be upgraded, you know, in Christ. And so a lot of this, if you'll just listen, uh, you'll find out what God's already doing in their lives. You'll find out who they've already talked to. You'll, you'll find, so what you're going to do by li listening, you're going to catch up. You're going to catch up yeah. with what God is already doing. And lost people will teach you how to reach them. If you will listen to them. Uh, 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 because one of the good questions to ask Muslims is, is why don't you, why, why don't Muslims love Jesus? And, and they're so offended, uh, but, but it's a good <laughs> offending. Uh, they'll say, we love Jesus. Jesus is in our holy book. And they'll even quote those passages that say wondrous things about Jesus that had never said about the prophet of Islam. And 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 and, and Kevin Greeson Greeson is also the writer of a book called The Camel Method. And uh, and it, it's based on the fact that uh, Muslims believe there's 99 names for God and that one special name the name above all other names, only the camel knows. And, and you know, mm. that's sort of a folklore. But but we know that his name is Jesus the Christ. And when they have the beads, the uh, what we call them, the prayer beads or the worry beads, and, and they're always fingering those beads, they're just constantly going through those 99 names uh, of God. And, 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 and yet it's that hundredth name that, that they need to have. And and so Kevin wrote a book called The Camel Method, and it's about those few verses in the Quran that speak about Jesus the Messiah, and it says things about him. It doesn't say about the, the prophet Muhammad. It doesn't say about the angel Gabriel. It only says this about Jesus. And, and people get bent out of shape, Anthony, that you use the Quran to witness to people about Jesus. Well, David will say, uh, you use it as a, uh, uh, Kevin will say, you use it as a bridge. You don't park your car on a bridge. You don't build your house on a bridge. You, you, exactly. You just, you just start on one side uh, 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 where the Quran is, and you go over that bridge and run into those verses about Jesus in the Quran, and you get across that bridge into the Bible just as quickly, you, you know, a, a, as you can. But you ask them, why don't you love Jesus? And they'll tell you, we love him, but we don't believe that he, that God had a son. We don't believe that God had sex with a woman. We, we don't believe that he died on a cross, that God substituted someone. But it, but it says that he's sinless. It says that he's going to return again and that, he, that he's going to come back. And there's just a lot to build on there. there there's just oh, yeah. a lot of stories that you can tell uh, from the Bible, I mean, uh, Ruth and I speak four languages. And so like most mission boards in our corporate wisdom, and we agreed to this, they moved us to a, a country where we don't speak the language. So we spend four years plus learning four languages. So we move us to an Arabic country and we just know the greetings. And so uh, uh, 
we're not going to drive because you're going to be traveling 80% of the time. And we're going to have to take taxis everywhere we go, airports, uh, uh, anywhere we go shopping to the mall, whatever. And, and so we prayed even before we moved there that, that we would get taxi drivers that spoke a little bit of English, excuse me, and that Ruth would sit in the back and uncharacteristic to taxi riders, I would try to get in the front seat with the taxi driver and Ruth would be praying uh, for English speakers and be praying for spiritual conversation. And the first morning after getting to bed at midnight, we haven't unpacked but we don't have anything in our house by the way of food, except some things that friends put there for us. And so we walk about a football field away from our apartment where some taxis uh, usually sit and we walk up to a taxi and we get in and, and Ruth gets in the back and she's praying and I open up the passenger seat and the guy looks at me really strangely and, and then he moves some (laughs) things and, and, and he lets me sit down and, and he says, is it okay if I smoke? And I, I always say, no, I get a rash from cigarette smoke. He says, well, that's okay. I'll just smoke slowly, you know, and it's like the, <laughs> there's going to be less cigarette smoke there. And, and, and so he starts his, his taxi, and, and as he's turning around to go the direction uh, uh, of the supermarket, he says, I've been waiting for you. Mm. I said, really? And why have you been waiting for you? He says, there's a question that's just been bothering me ever since I've been an adult. And I can't find the answer anywhere. And I said, what's your question? He said, what is the meaning of life? And I turned around and I, I looked at Ruth in the back seat and I said to her, slow down, honey. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know, this is the first morning of the first day. And I, I said to this guy, just pull, because it's hot, pull under the tree and, and turn the taxi off. And I'll tell you what the meaning of life is. He said, no, 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 we'll just drive. So it cost me $60 for about a $10 taxi ride. Oh my. So I could, I could tell him as much of the meaning of life that he was willing to receive that day. Uh, but just her praying and, and making ourselves available and getting where I could have a conversation with him and we could look face to face. And, and the point is, look how God had moved us. But for years, God had prepared that man for someone to show mm-hmm. up to say, because uh, he had done the regular thing. Where are you from? I'm from America. We love Americans. We hate your government. We hate your president. It doesn't matter whether it's Democratic or Republican. You just let that go. And, 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 and I'm showing interest uh, in things in his life, but that, that's to come. But I'm, he, he's going to take me to tea uh, later on uh, that week, and, and he's going to invite me uh, to his house for a six-hour meal. This is the cold meeting. This is our first day there. And what I'm trying to find out is what God's already doing in his life. And so that will teach me what to say. And and that will give me clues to what Bible story uh, 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 to give. And and, and we we had a group of people come to us 
Anthony, in another country in the Horn of Africa. And if there ever was a team doing everything right, it was this team. And they came to us and they said, we need you and Ruth to help us. I said, what's going on? They said, we've got a, a real problem. I said, and I'm thinking about these people and I'm thinking, I don't know a better team uh, than the reputation of this team. And I, I said, so what's going on? They said, we had 1,700 people profess Christ uh, uh, um, last year, and we had seven baptisms. And I said, you do have a problem. This is a big problem. And, uh, and, and, and so I said, just give us a month or two, and we'll come up, and, and we'll do some looking and walking around, and we'll talk about this. And, and so we came up. But I've, we've done this enough is we don't talk to Christians about Christian problems because you, 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 we see ourselves in a Western mirror. Uh, we see ourselves in the way that Westerners would figure out problems. So we know as being a researcher by doing $13 million of relief work uh, around the Horn of Africa, especially in Somalia. Uh, we've got a lot of credibility that we can go to almost any village, any city, and, 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 and we're actually caring enough for people like Jesus when he goes out. Uh, he's going to touch that woman uh, or get her help about the issue of blood. Uh, that woman at the well that's had multiple husbands, that demonic man that broke the chains from around his body, those 10 lepers and, and, and we're going to, we're going to do that. And people always, Anthony, it just breaks my heart. Do you do social gospel or do you do the real gospel? Uh, read the book of Luke and see if Jesus ever goes out in the morning. And by the time he comes in to sleep that night, where has he not fed somebody, healed somebody, mm. raised right. somebody, cleansed somebody, there, in the Bible, there's no separation of the words that we use and the acts that we do. And so I go out and, and, and hmm. we're talking to people in villages around this team in a pretty good size uh, uh, town, city. And, and, and at the right time, I asked them because uh, they said something about us being Westerners. And I said, who are those Westerners over there? And, and, and they say, oh, those are the people that love Jesus. Hmm. And he said it in such a positive way. I just went for the, you know, for the in football terminology, American football, the bomb. And, and, and I said, well, then I guess your attitude is such that you're going to love Jesus yourself. And they said, never. We will never, hmm. ever love Jesus. And I said, but why? They said, look at those people. Well, I didn't tell them that I've known of them for years. And I said, I I'm looking. They said, do you see what's going on over there? I said, no, you need to tell me. And on that team was two big anomalies. There were three career couples, just wonderful in the language and in the culture, because they had asked me, what are we doing wrong? Are we not praying enough and fasting? 
do we not have enough of the the, the Bible on the radio or, or in the Jesus film? What, what are they're doing all these things? And I looked at those people and I, I said, yeah, I'm looking at them. They said, look, and there's three couples on that team and none of them have been able to bear children. Mm. Well, I, I never asked. I never felt free to ask. I, I thought if they wanted me to know, they'd tell me. And they had three or four single ladies on that team in their 40s and upper 50s that had experienced divorce in their American life as part of their story, uh, uh, spiritually and, 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 and culturally. And, 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 and those people said, those villagers said, look at those people. If you give your life to Jesus, uh, you won't be able to bear children. Mm. And, and, and your husband will divorce you and you'll have to move to a foreign country where you've never lived away from your own people, your own language, your own parents, your own family. And you'll have to live and die in a foreign country and be buried there. And we will never be a part of that Jesus because we'll be barren. Our husbands will divorce us and we'll have to move to a foreign country and live and die there. That's what they saw mm. in, that, in, in the physical makeup of that team. And we would have never seen that. Wow. That's why you have to talk to lost people. That was a hard conversation to go back to that team and to say, now listen to our hearts. You're doing everything right. There's nothing you could do that you're not doing except the witnessing mirror is this big and your witnessing mirror needs to be off the scale. And I told him what the people said and, and I said, can I pray for us? Because I said, Lord, I'm afraid that we caused a lot of pain and distress. But those people had walked through that. They, they, they were confident that the situation they were in was, was just God's will for their life. And so what we suggested and what they did is they just added people to the team. They, had, they added single men and single women to the team that had the intent in the future and had prospects of being married. And some of them uh, uh, were on that team as singles, went back to the States, got married, and came back as a married couple. And they, they also worked, and they got couples on that team. So they had singles that were working toward being married, and they brought couples on that team that had young children and children that were 10 or 11, 13 years of age. And so they fleshed out that team so it wouldn't just look like uh, three barren couples and, and four, three or four-plus uh, single women who have divorced as part of their history. Now, five mm. years later, uh, 150,000 people, if I remember correctly, upwards of 200,000 plus had been baptized in that people group. Wow. This is one of three keys that had to be discovered to unlock those hearts. And, 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 and two of them were, were discovered uh, uh, by a worker that had grown up there uh, almost his whole life, came back, uh, married a father, and, and was able uh, to spiritually see inside of that culture 
and see biblical stories that we weren't using, that we needed to be using, and we needed to be explaining the way they would be explained in the New Te Old Testament environment so that they would have mm -hmm. access to the uh, New Testament. And so you've got to help people with what to say. And, and, and like almost every Muslim home Ruth and I have ever gone to, the men are going to sit in the front. We're talking about 35 people in an extended family. And then the wow. older women are going to sit behind the men, younger men behind the older women, younger women behind the younger men, and then the singles and the kids in the background. And, and these older men sitting down front, Anthony, uh, they're going to look at each other and smile and, 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 and sort of elbow one another like, you know, they're set, setting me up, <laughs> which they are, but I know it's coming. And they're going to ask me, how many wives do you have? And I say, I just have hmm. one wife. And then they're going to say out loud, usually, with my wife sitting there, he's not much, much of a man, is he, if he can only handle one woman? Well, I never let them have the <laughs> spiritual high ground. Hmm. And I say to him, you don't know my wife. If you knew my wife <laughs> and you knew Christian women, you would realize why we just need to have one wife. We don't need to have four women to make one. And, and, and I say, why do you, why do you have four wives? And, it, and I said, do, do, do you have a Quran? Yes. Do you read it? I mean, I'm not going to give it to them if they don't have it. I don't want to make them read it if they're not reading it. Well, I say, well, share with me from your holy book why you have one wife. And then I tell a story of Adam and Eve. And then we tell a couple more stories. We're going back and forth for hours. And, and somewhere in there, I'm going to turn to my wife and say, Ruth, I need, uh, I need a break. I need to have some tea. And a woman will get up and go running after it. And, and I say, I need to rest my voice. Why, why don't you tell them that story about Esther? And the men will get all cloudy and, and, and hmm. sort of, you know, angry looking. And the women are behind them just going, uh, because the men are saying, he's letting her tell a story from the holy book, the Bible. And the women <laughs> behind them are going, she's getting to tell a story from the holy book. And, and when I get to uh, uh, Abraham and Sarah, and, uh, and I make the point that it's the sacrifice of Isaac, not of you know who they use? Mm -hmm. They use the other brother. I was getting ready for you to say his name. Oh, I was waiting for you to tell me, but I knew that, but I didn't know if oh, I was going to spoil the surprise. Is Abraham uh, offered Ishmael for sacrifice mm -hmm. rather than Isaac? And But the thing yeah. that just astounds them, and, and I do mess around with them a little bit, I say, and Abraham took a second wife, and I said, in ways, because you follow your lineage back through Ishmael to Abraham, when we follow it from Jesus back to Isaac and, and back to Abraham, uh, it's at this point that, that, that the stress that was going to be birthed between Islam and, and, and those who follow Jesus, the, the genesis of that is in this story. And, and, uh, hmm. and, and, and I, and yeah, but the point I want to make is that Abraham had the mindset that the promise was given to him. And therefore, when, when Sarah was barren 
for for all of her life that that the promise could be through any woman because the woman was just the vessel. Uh, the man is the seed, and the vessel really doesn't have anything to do. She just has to be compliant. And yet, when you find out in that story that the promise was given to Abraham, but only through one woman. Mm. It's through Sarah or through nobody. Man, that sets their worldview upside down. And so you're going to, you're going to spend four five, six hours swapping stories back and forth and, and get to Jesus and say they came to Jesus and, and trying to trap him and saying, a man was married to this woman and this brother died and she married this brother and he married this brother. And I think he went through six or seven brothers and whose wife is she going to be in paradise? Uh, and Jesus said, you don't understand uh, a heaven. Uh, uh, there will not be the, the given and the taking of wives. But in that, he says, remember, it was because of the hardness of your heart that Moses allowed you to have a document that you could give your wife Mm. a writ of divorce. It was because of the hardness of your heart. And he says, Moses, in the way I read that passage, Moses was wrong. He says, in the beginning, it was one man for one woman. Right. So you've gone all the way from Adam and Eve. You've gone through the Old Testament marriages and especially Abraham and Sarah and you're getting where Jesus goes all the way back to Adam and Eve and says this is what marriage looks like and and so when 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 Kevin says one of the questions you need to answer is what do I say uh, a lot of that is uh is in response to what they say to you and they ask you a question you tell them uh, the appropriate bible story and they ask you a question about that story, and then you tell them another Bible story that answers that question. In that way, that's what Jesus did. He told them a story. They asked him a question about the story. He he told them another story. And and when we we found out, in Islam especially, that people were coming to Christ one by one by one, doing uh, American style of evangelism, that Islam is so tough that the evil one, Satan, was picking them off, Anthony, one by one by one, and we never got to church. Mm. They never survived getting married because what would happen, 95% for five decades, for five decades, we were told 80% were men, believers, 20% were women, but when we got to where we had enough women that spoke Arabic and the languages of Islam and could sit with women and hear their stories, uh, uh, only five of them could tell us who Jesus was out of the 20%. Mm. It was horrible. Wow. So how is faith going to go into a second generation when the husband comes home after he believes and he's baptized and he looks like he's from eastern Kentucky or the hills of Tennessee's, Tennessee. And, and he says to his wife, woman, you need to know something. I'm a Christian. That makes this house a Christian house and it makes you a Christian. And he baptizes her. And that's her whole story. Mm. That's her whole story. Now, she can divorce him. 
uh, she can betray him. But it's so far even preceding the birth of Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, that 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 he has the right to declare faith for his family. Uh, she just believes she's a Christian as long as that man is alive. And what we watched mm. among Somalis as the men, uh, husbands began to get martyred, the longest that any of their wives stayed with Christianity was 48 hours. And wow. they got his severance pay and they got all the stuff that he was due. And within 48 hours, they went back to the mosque after being out for five years to 20 years. And they turned in the names of every person, every believing man that their husband was related to. And a lot of the wow. deaths, the martyrdoms of believers in Somalia was due to the betrayal by the wives by the wives of the men who were martyred, who had declared faith for their own wives. Mm. And I promise you that's all over the Islamic world because they're not going to hear the gospel through literate means and they're not going to hear it th through men. And women in Islam are often heard to say, oh, Christianity is just like uh, Islam. It's for men, it's to men, it's through men, it's about men, and it's no different from Islam. Mm. And women are just secondary issues, and the only way they can hear about Jesus is through all this male filter uh, until we had, again, women going to marriage ceremonies and baby naming ceremonies and engagement parties and women learning Arabic and other Muslim languages and giving Muslim women access to the kingdom of God. There's been an explosion. And what we changed was this. We said among our teams, no longer, no, no, no more uh, of, 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 of one by one evangelism. We're going to do families reaching families and uh, spiritually speaking, uh, that can be a team that is formed and, and 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 that way you you uh, 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 that that gets us to the second part. The first part, well, no, this. Well, let me finish this one. It is is what do you say? And, and then secondly, is who do you say it to? And what we learned is that if we shared the gospel one by one by one, we that's the way the harvest we reap. The Bible promises you promises us as you reap. You will sow. And so we, we decided, let's sow the gospel in family units. Yeah. Let's learn language. Let's learn culture. Let's have, uh, and often it's where we are invited uh, into Islamic homes uh, four or five times before they trust us enough to come into our home. Those meals last four to six hours. And the majority way that Muslims come to Christ is by sharing meals with believers like you and your wife and kids and us and mm -hmm. our wife, my wife. And as our kids grew, we would bring uh, single uh, women and men with us and young families with us uh, 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 because uh, people must see themselves. When, when we talk about who do I say it to? Well, uh, it, it's as important as uh, who is saying it. 
because oftentimes when we first started going to Islam, I watched a lot of these early teams, and they all may be from the same state. They're all about 25, 30 years of age. They're, they're single, or they've been newlyweds. Uh, they have a brand new baby, or they're getting ready to have their first baby. And, and, and what we find is, is that people witness to others who are three to five years younger than themselves. Mm, and that's so interesting. So if your team to Islam is 25, 30 years of age, guess who you're going to reach to Christ? You're going to reach college students, yeah. university students. And that's not, that's not, even if you have men and women come to Christ in any significant numbers, it doesn't survive going home, getting a wife, and going back to the village. And here's mm -hmm. what happens. Here's what happens when it, when when that young college man or occasional woman who has believed they get at marrying age for the men around 30 for the women. What what determines the women's age of marriage is their education. If they if they are oral communicators, uh, usually after their monthly cycle begins, they're married. So wow. 13, 14 years of age is very common. And the, the number one thing that affects the age of marriage is education. And, and so uh, even if they're college educated, uh, but here's what's happening to the men. We just don't have enough women believers, single women believers uh, to make any kind of judgment call. But the men go home and around 30, a brother shows up and an uncle shows up. And says, Father is sent for you. They've arranged your marriage. And they, mm. the, the favored marriage in Islam, where we've been, is your first cousin on your mother's side. And that's not illegal in any country. And if your if you're extended family, especially if it's going through four wives in multiple family in multiple you know, marriages, yeah. your, 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 your gene pool pool is huge. And so, but they'll yeah. go, that, that mother and father will go to the most conservative Muslim single woman on the mother's side of the family and arrange a marriage to their son. And they'll say to that lady, they'll call her in for a conversation and say, there's something wrong with our son. They'll never say that he's a Christian, that he's a follower of Jesus. That would shame the family. That would mark him for death. They'll say there's just something spiritually wrong with our son. He's not going to the mosque. He's not reading the book. He, he's not praying. Uh, uh, you have two jobs going into this marriage. Number one is you bring him back to Islam. And number mm. two, if you fail at number one, you protect the children from him. And I don't know why we couldn't see it for five generations that when women said yes through the men, to Jesus, they still were educating their children in Islam. Hmm. That was as wow. obvious as, as it could be. And, and so who do I say it to? I would say to you, the pattern of the New Testament is families. And, and that does, uh, right. and singles belong to families. Uh, uh, families belong to singles. Uh, uh, in the Bible, it's Cornelius and his household believing. 
It's a Philippian jailer and his household believing. It's Cornelius and his household. It's Crispus. It's Lydia. Uh, uh, and, mm. and, and you know what we fight about? We, we don't see the greater truth that the entire household believed and was baptized. And the moment that baptism takes place, a church is birthed in that home. That's wow. right. Wow. <laughs> what an exciting moment to see the Holy Spirit crystallize the bride of Christ in that home at that family baptism. But what we do is fight over whether or not children are baptized, whether uh, mm. that, that Cornelius had to have infants in his extended family and household. And, and therefore, uh, we fight over adult baptism, infant baptism, children baptism, when that's not in that dialogue at all. Right. That's right. As we as we've gone to the cultures of the world, when we get to first generation Christianity in Islam, in all these years among Muslims, we've seen three Muslims baptized under 18 years of age. Two was 17. One was 16. All three of them were baptized by their fathers who mm. were believers. And they were second-generation believers inside their house and were good to go. There's no problem. Wow. But if you're doing baptism outside of the house in the missionary's bathroom with only Westerners taking place, uh, that, that is scheduled uh, for painful uh, death. Mm. Sometimes, at least spiritually, and oftentimes, physically. And so, what we're uh, what we're looking at this is uh, is is families reaching families because what that man did that man became a gatekeeper. That that man decided and he goes home and says, uh, uh, "Wife, woman, I, I'm now a Christian. That makes you a Christian. That makes his house a Christian." And he baptizes her. And when we go as a family. We go with singles, we go with young couples, and we go as older couples. Then you take away the gatekeeper because all these stories are, are said to the whole family. And there's no one that can stop that story because the, for the men, uh, those Bible stories, they recognize that the, the, those stories are power. And you don't give your power mm. away, you keep it. But my wife tells a Muslim woman uh, a biblical story, and before the night, before, before the sun goes down, that woman's going to tell six or ten of her friends. And when our hmm. women go to weddings and engagement parties and baby naming parties and they walk in, they're going to call that worker's name out and, and, say, and say, let me make uh, Ruth, 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 I'm so glad you're here. Uh, 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 tell all the women here, 100 of them, 150 of hmm. them. Tell them that Bible story you told me. That was such a good story. And our women were... Uh, early on, terrified, uh, what's going to happen in this big group? You know what was going to happen? They were going to receive those uh, stories, as we say in Africa, with two hands, and they're going to give it to their families. They're going to give it to their friends. The way mm. that Bible stories flow, it seems, in Islam is through women uh, uh, until they get into a family. So we, we've got to address the questions of what do I say? And who do I say it to uh, when, when I went to the Soviet Union? And I've already mentioned this, but I want to come at it except through not by Islam only. Uh, 
when Dimitri was uh, speaking the word of God in his house because they had closed all the churches in the Soviet Union over at that time, 55, 60 years of communism. They had killed and compromised the pastors. And Dimitri standing in front of the house, in front of 75 people standing in his house, shoulder to shoulder and hip to hip. And this man is just teaching the word of God. And the KGB had fired him from his factory, had fired his wife as a school teacher, had kicked his sons out of the out of the school. And and he said to me, you know, Nick, little things like that. I'm going. Incredible. Well, well, I was going to find out how little they were because they put him mm. in prison and tortured him for 17 years. And, yeah. And and uh, 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 but when it got to be 75 people in that small room. And Dimitri's back was against the outside wall of his living room. And he was really bringing the word of God to people. Uh, uh, the back door of his house was thrown open. And a KGB colonel uh, and, and about, I think, about 15 of his henchmen in the KGB, you know, the security police, uh, broke into the back door, threw it open and started throwing people off to the side. And... Uh, uh, and, and went up to Dimitri and began to smack him, his face back and forth, slamming him against the wall of the house. And, and before long, his ears are already swelling, his, his nose is bleeding, his lips are crushed against his teeth. And this KGB colonel slammed him against the wall and said, I've warned you and I've warned you and I've warned you. Mm. I will not warn you again if you don't stop this stuff. Worse things are going to happen to you. And he and his KGB entourage turned around and started walking uh, among all these people uh, out of that house. And as he got to the door of the house, this little grandmother, a babushka, uh, uh, bent over, uh, 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 crooked hands, uh, a crooked spine by arthritis. Mm -hmm. And she stepped out of the crowd and she took her life in her hands and she walked up to that KGB colonel and she put a finger in his face, uh, a, a, a crooked arthritic finger in his face, and said, you have mishandled the man of God, and you will not survive it. She mm. prophesied over him. This was Tuesday, and he died. He's 43 years of age. On Friday night, he died of a heart attack. Oh, or he my died gosh. of something. He's dead. Mm. What's the moral of this story? Don't mess with grandma. Mm. Now, there a lot of people would laugh. Uh, a lot of people would poke one another because it does have some maybe dark humor, but humor in it. But we're serious. If you're going into a very restrictive place uh, in America, if you have a good program for children, if you have a good program for youth and it's staffed well, resource well and you've got basketball and soccer programs for christians uh, uh couples are going to flood to your church and, yeah. and you can build a big church based on, you reach children in islam and you won't survive it mm. you will not you'll have guns cocked and put in your face like my own team did when i warned them not to do it and they did something that looked like they were doing uh, how to teach English 
head, shoulders, knees, and toes. It's something my wife has done uh, uh, teaching uh, um, first graders and kindergartners. And, and, and our guards came down off the wall, stuck AK-47s cocked in the faces of our young women uh, workers and said, uh, you're teaching our children a new way to pray. If you don't stop it right now, you're dead. Mm. You will not steal our children uh, into Christianity. Mm. In, in Western cultures, you want to reach the parents, reach their children. In resistant cultures of persecution, uh, I'm suggesting if you're truly wise, uh, you will try to reach those who are 40, 50, 60, 70 years above. You reach grandmother, like in this story, and grandfather who was standing next to her, uh, it, it'll take a lot longer for them. They, they usually will, they're not going to rape her. They're not going to torture him. They're not going to arrest them and put them in prison. They have way too much respect for the older people in their culture. And when you look at the culture that has very little church, very little in Christ, you, you look at those who have status in that culture, uh, that's who you spend time with. Mm. Uh, and I'm suggesting that's going to be 30, 40. Uh, no, at 18 years of age, a Muslim is considered a man. At 30 years of age, in the cultures we've been to, they're allowed to sit in the outer ring uh, 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 of, the, of the elders. But after 40-something, they're allowed to sit in the center and speak. I've just told you who to evangelize. Right. Those who are exactly. 45 and above. Those who are 45 and above. They have status. They have authority. Others will sit behind them around them uh, and, and you're looking uh, at, at these type of people and uh, we had one of the most open people groups in all of Kenya, Uganda Tanzania and a couple that were our friends went down and lived among those people for 10 years mm. and they're lion hunters they're cattle herders and and, 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 and they're a very tall, uh, athletic people, and they did everything right, everything right. But if I remember correctly, after uh, 10 years of living there, speaking the language, learning the culture, eating the local food, drinking the sour blood milk, doing all of the things right, uh, maybe 75 believers, maybe. And this young couple, they brought uh, the, the, man, the man of the home, brought his retired Baptist father, retired Baptist preacher, I think from south of Atlanta. He was in his 70s, if I remember correctly, and brought him out and brought him to the village and let him see their kids' ministry and see the grandkids and how they were involved and how happy they were. And, and, and just the son said to his dad, when the time for worship came, Dad, you, you preach and I'll interpret. And he said, well, I had to change about 75% of what the, my, my old daddy <laughs> said because jokes don't translate in any culture. Hmm. 
I remember one of the first times that I told a story uh, in Malawi. I got 75% through the story, and my interpreter said, oh, oh, sir, I've misunderstood. I thought you were saying something else. And I said, oh, that's okay. I'll, I'll go back and start over. He said, no, 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 no. I told him something a lot better. <laughs> yeah. I said, well, we'll just go on and you just, you know, you fix it. You fix Very it. Very humbling. Well, well, the son changed everything he needed to change. But to his chagrin and shock, uh, at the end of that, as was his custom, a- after that old retired Baptist preacher finished his very American sermon, the son uh, said to them, uh, he invited them to Christ, and all the elders, men and women of the village, gave their lives to Christ. Mm. And the son was furious. The son was angry. And he said, what's wrong with you people? Which is a wonderful thing to say. What's wrong with you people? Yeah. He said, "Uh, we've lived here. We speak the language. We know your culture. We walk with you. We we do everything with you. And 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 just a handful of you come to Christ. And and now this old man preaches a sermon that that I had to change seventy five percent plus of what he said. And now all of you older men and women give your life to Jesus. How do you explain that? And they said, Well, for the last ten years. By watching you, we thought Jesus was just for young people. Wow. We never knew we never knew that Jesus was for old people. Incredible. Hear the words of the Lord. If you're witnessing mirror again, is that 30-something space, and you're reaching people that are three to five years, people outside of that won't come to Jesus because they don't see themselves in that witnessing mirror. Hear the words of the Lord. People will come to Christ when they see themselves age-wise and gender-wise in the story. Mm. If they're seeing the storyteller, the truth teller, and the stories that they're listening to, if they don't see their gender and their age telling the stories and are in the stories, they will not say yes to Jesus. Anthony, it's just that simple. Mm. It's just that simple that you've got to answer the question, what do I say and who do I say it to? Well, this young couple was saying it to the old people, uh, you know, the elder, uh, the elders for 10 years, but they couldn't see it because the filter was wrong. So now we know how to build our teams. We know to have singles on them, single men, single women who are working toward being married. Uh, we're going to have young couples with brand new babies, uh, 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 those with you know, teenagers, we're going to have those with children out of the home. But we're going to build a team where the witnessing mirror is as wide as possible so that everybody witnessed to can see themselves in that witnessing mirror. Hmm. If they don't see themselves in that story, if they don't see themselves gender-wise and age-wise from the very youngest to the very oldest, 
uh, uh, they don't see themselves in that story and they, they don't say yes, yes to Christ. And, and they'll say to you explicitly, uh, we thought that Jesus was just for young people. Wow. So Kevin says there's two, four questions uh, you have to answer. Number one is, what do I say? And, and, and we've talked about that a lot and talked about listening and, and, and talked about sharing meals. And, and, and secondly, uh, who do I say it to? And, and we're suggesting that if you're going to go and do small slices, uh, do it older men, older women, older culture, uh, 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 you know, older parts of the culture. But it's so much better uh, as singles, as young couples, as older couples to be part of a team that have both men and women in it. And that goes from our youngest children that learn the language, learn the culture uh, uh, to people who are close to retirement age or have retired and are coming out. Maybe they don't learn the language as well, but they're out there doing agriculture, doing water wells, uh, providing some kind of service. But the local people get to see people in their 70s and 80s who are walking with Jesus and they can write themselves in their story. Mm. So there's four things that Kevin says, four questions we must answer in order to equip people for the most effective witness as possible. And we've unpacked somewhat the first two, what do I say and who do I say it to? And when we come back next week and, and we're going to finish this in the next podcast, I don't know whether it's next week or two weeks from now, but, but we're going to come back and, and, and do the last two that Kevin gave us. And, and when you, answer these four questions together, uh, uh, your effectiveness in witness is going to soar. So uh, I, I don't want you to really wait uh, for another week or so before you go out and share your faith. Share your story. Share what you know. Mm. Uh, share who you know. Uh, have people in your home. Uh, uh, get invitations into people's home. And, and, and get to uh, answering the questions of what do I say and who do I say it to? And, and next, uh, next week, uh, next time we're together, uh, we'll fill the rest of the bucket when we, when we ask and answer the next two questions. I hope that's okay. It, it, it's, it, it, I've probably eaten up all the time that we have, and uh, I, I would like to come back and do those next two uh, when we're together again. That's great. That's fantastic. And Nick, that's, it's, there's so much wisdom in that. And I love how at the very heart of that, I hope our listeners hear that uh, both this episode and the next episode is that wherever they're, whatever season of life they find themselves in, they are useful in the kingdom of God. And I think it's so interesting. Maybe we may explore this a little bit later, but uh, I think it's so interesting how in in this strategy, in this wisdom, these truths that we've learned from believers in persecution, how uh, older people, senior adults, so many times we say, oh, you're in your, your golden years, your sunset years, go off in the corner and, and wait for a new generation to come. But uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you have a, 
an incredibly crucial role in the kingdom of God that we don't really think about. And yet there is a, there's a huge place and a huge role for you in that. America at times says to old people, lay down and die. And the world is begging us to stand mm. up and witness. And um, I love that. I, 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 I can't think of, you know, that's the tweet for the day. Uh, but I, I, I can't think <laughs> of a better thing to do as a second career person than to help a young team flesh out their witness. Right, right. And we're praying this episode gives uh, some people already some really, really good practical in your hands. You can walk out the door today across the street, uh, and there's some things that you can use straight from the Bible um, to help you be an effective witness. Thank, right. Nick, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, we're going to be looking forward to the next uh, episode, finishing off these four questions. And when those come together, um, there's going to be some incredible wisdom, incredible insight uh, to allow us to be effective in our witness for Jesus. So Nick, thank you so much. Uh, it's great to be back with you after a little bit of a hiatus for technical difficulties, but it seems like we've got everything figured out. So we're going to add tech guru to your resume. Oh yeah. You're pretty soon. Yeah. That would, uh, <laughs> if that ever, the truth of that found was found out, it would harm your witness. <laughs> All right. Exactly. Well, Nick, thank you so much again. We're looking forward to it. Listeners, uh, if you joined us today, thank you so much. I've been Anthony Ball, your host, and this has been Witness and Persecution with Nick and Ruth Rupkin. We've been reminding you every week. We want to remind you again, uh, February 26th in Irving, Texas, the DFW area. We want you to come join us for a night of worship featuring Shane and Shane and our friend uh, Erskine Music. We want you to join us. Tickets are available at www.nickripkin.com slash worship. Come join us February 26th for that concert with Shane and Shane and Erskine and also Nick and Ruth. Thank you so much for being with us today, and we will be with you next time.